We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kolzik, and I'm joined as ever by Mr. Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Howdy. When, when exactly did I earn the Mr.? Like, I don't that know. Happened at some point, some nebulous point over the last 21 weeks. I'm not sure when it was. And it started to infect the other podcasts I'm on. Oh, interesting. And it's like, I don't, it's like that, that gives me a level of dignity that I do not deserve, deserve and did not earn. So maybe we should think about, about shuffling it. So we had uh, a lighter week this week, not quite the crazy show of last week. Mm-hmm. An interesting week though, although not entirely uh, well, it had some awesomeness. But there was some awesomeness. No, well, some awesomeness. And some of that awesomeness, just to uh, to mention this uh, up at the top, is we talked Terriers with Alyssa Bame from the Big Red Podcast. Mm-hmm. Bame. It's Bame. It's Bame. Oh, I have been pronouncing how it. How often have we mispronounced her, her name? I feel really bad. And there's going to be a, mis- a mispronunciation of her name later in the podcast. Uh, she doesn't care, so I'm trying not to, but I still feel pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. Um, we got some nice comments last week. We got we heard from Ricky, which was pretty entertaining, and, as well as Michael, who was talking Alcatraz versus Fringe versus the X Files, and he says he wishes he had caught the fades, but he hasn't yet. So hopefully, Michael, uh, if you do catch uh, up with it, you'll let us know what you think, because I would be curious to to mm-hmm. know his thoughts on that. Then we heard from Ken, who wants to know if we will we're going to review the Super Bowl commercials. What what do you think about that? Well, we don't. I, I don't know if this is common knowledge in the states, but we don't actually get the they, they air the Super Bowl in Canada, but we don't get the same commercials. We don't get the the big commercials. But it's an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's definitely a novel idea. If if I can find a way to access those via nefarious means. <laughs> and yes, I'm announcing it because I'm just that much of a renegade. Um, you are a rebel. Then, yeah, that's that's what I'm told. Uh, so yeah, maybe maybe we'll do that. It's I I am intrigued by the possibility. Well, and they do usually put them up online. There are usually a couple of sites that will compile the best of the best. Um, right, but the, if it's on after. Hulu or something, I still can't access it there. Oh, that's true. So I'm gonna that's I'm true. gonna have to be snaky about it. <laughs> See, I don't intend to actually watch the Super Bowl because my Bears are out, so I don't care. Who you know, the Packers are out, so I don't have anybody to really root against. So I, I don't actually really care who wins. And I and I wouldn't have cared anyway. Yeah, so I don't really care to watch it live, but you know, I can watch the uh, commercials after the fact. We, he also suggested foils for broils for other broils on Fringe because I was looking for nicknames. We'll get to talking about Fringe later in the episode, but there were, you know, other universe characters talking to their counterparts all over the place last week. Now, he was spelling it F-A-U-X-Y-L-E-S. I changed it to 
spoils FOE now that other broils is evil ish. But the, the the thing that's that's the thing about all these nicknames that's even more complicated is that it's not just the alternate universe versions of these people. It's the yeah. alternate alternate. <laughs> so like he's not even Walternate. Yeah. He's like Walternate two. <laughs> It's it's just getting ridiculous now. Yeah. But thank you, Ken, for that suggestion. Uh, I think I'm set with my fringe names for now, so that's nice to not stress about that every week before I review the show. Because <laughs> that's the kind of person I am. I do. It's just a source of anguish for you. <laughs> yeah, first world problems. Um, yeah, Nelly... I'm not even sure that qualifies. <laughs> um, Nelly retweeted our podcast, so thank you very much, Nelly. And if anybody else wants to retweet our podcast to your friends, that's fabulous. Thank you very much. I had a little bit of a Vampire Diaries conversation with Keith, which was fun. And Josh and Sean were going back and forth a bit on person of interest, which I checked back in with this week. And we will hear my thoughts later in the podcast. But but that was that was fun to, to watch that discussion happening. Now, we didn't get any new iTunes ratings or reviews this week. So maybe next week, fingers crossed. Um, but I do have my my article for last week, which I, I spent so long trying to come up with a list of good TV remakes that I squandered all of my time because I couldn't. There is one and it is MASH and that is it. So I changed it and now it's the best shows to marathon inspired by the Vampire Diaries marathon that, that we've both been engaging in so that will be more than me today you've been going nuts just a bit just a bit (laughs) Um, so that's gonna be my my list for last week and this week and then also at soundonsite.org we're doing the the monthly theme is catching up with the classics which i think is kind of cool would you uh just just tell us what that's about oh well essentially we're as many sos writers as possible are going back and watching a film that they always they they know they should have seen by now and i assume and most movie buffs are assumed to have seen but they just haven't and i'm going to be writing about lawrence of arabia at some point because my dad was recently raving about it and i thought to myself damn i really should have seen that by now and i know other people i i think um we have one on breathless and one on um Oh, it's not coming to me now but anyway there's lots there's so many we've already got like seven or eight of them and there's more to come are you going to be doing that as well? You know, I hadn't thought of it because I had to set this time aside. But, you know, I still haven't seen Godfather 2. And so, yeah. And I, and I love the Godfather, so. My secret is that I find Godfather 2 horrifically overrated. I think Godfather 1 is way better. But that's something for the comment section, I guess. <laughs> oh, it, so that's probably what I would go with. But I mean, there are plenty of fabulous movies that I, that I haven't seen. Um, I wish somebody would do Gone with the Wind because I know Dan <laughs> is, wa- is watching it and had considered that. But I love Gone with the Wind and I feel like everybody bashes it now. And- well, Rick was considering doing Gone with the Wind as well, but then he was just like, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> I just don't get it because I, I think it's, you know, it's not perfect, but there's so many great things about it. I don't get why all the, there's all this hate for it. Um, it seems like it's really popular to bash Gone with the Wind at mm-hmm. this point, but I don't know. Maybe it'll come back around. Uh, but yeah, so lots of fun stuff going on at the website. Um, thank you for your comments and your tweets. Please keep it up. We always love talking with you guys, but let's get into the TV from this week. We, we're going to start with our Vampire Diaries catch up. Now, I caught up with 
the series, so I'm up to date. Now, to be clear, that means you've watched, uh, let me do a bit of quick mental math here. Oh, God. Uh, uh, <laughs> nearly 60 episodes in, what, a week and a half? Two weeks? Not quite. 60, 44 plus, 30, plus 12. What is that? 50. That's 56 six. episodes. That's nearly 60. That's yeah. very nearly 60. In how many days? Um, not enough I, i've been watching too much of it but you know in my defense i had some time off of work and that helps mm. a lot plus it right. keeps having t horrendous snowstorms so well not i just want people to know who they're dealing with yeah when they're listening to this podcast <laughs> well how far have you gotten in the series uh i in a in roughly in in, a, in slightly fewer days than you i've only gotten through i think 16 episodes so i'm i've got another disc and a bit left in season one i've been nabbing it from work what are you thinking of the show so far? Well, I mean, I wouldn't have gotten 16 episodes in if I wasn't enjoying it to some degree. It's a weird show. It's it's in a strange place. I mean, it's frustrating in a lot of ways because you want it to be amazing, and it never quite is, but it is compulsively watchable for sure. I think the main problems with it, just to get them out of the way, are I think it lacks wit. I think um, it's... It's very well plotted in the sense that something is always happening. There never feels like there's a wasted episode, which is really – that's not an inconsiderable thing. That's, that's really, rare. really hard to do. Yeah. It's very rare, and they deserve all the credit they can get. But I do wish that you know they would find time to sit down and give these, give these characters interesting stuff to say while they're doing interesting things. Um, and I think another problem is just its CW-ness. Just which is kind of unfair because they have produced good shows in the past. I mean, they although it didn't originate there. I mean, Veronica Mars was was there before, and and if you want to extend that to the WB, I mean, Buffy. Mm -hmm. um, but just the fact that that the whole cast with I mean, there's really one significant black character, <laughs> and everyone else is white and like so white. Yeah, very and, white, and, and so shiny and. <laughs> And just the fact that there's no real adults, mm -hmm. and there like there's one older person in season one, and they don't necessarily stick around. And then when you do see older people, it's generally in 1864, which kind of makes it seem like the adults went extinct at some point. <laughs> like even like the teachers aren't as old as they should be, and the parents are all super young. It's really distracting. But I mean, so you kind of have to roll with it. But it's certainly true that it is. Uh, it's it's very rollicking. I yeah, that's the word I'd use for it. I've had a lot of fun actually catching up with this series. But what I find most interesting is that I I don't love the show. I like the show. But when we we're when I was talking about it with you, which has been somewhat difficult because you you know I there's all this stuff that comes later You're that two I, seasons ahead of me. Yeah, yeah, I'm two seasons ahead of you. Um, but there are just there are like a million things about this show that I really admire and appreciate and I think are so smart and 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 uh, so well done, but I only like the show. And I think that's really interesting. And I think a lot of that comes down to, to what you had said earlier about there is a lack of wit and specificity to the writing. The Damon, of course, gets all the, the great entertaining fun lines, uh, but other than I would say Caroline, who's one of the the the, the teen characters, and Damon, there none of the other characters have a particular voice. I feel like a lot of their dialogue is 
pretty interchangeable from character to character. Mm -hmm. And I think that while it is very intelligently, I guess I would say crafted, the dialogue could really uh, use a punch up, I think, a lot of the times. And just like like you said, that general CW-ness, I think, has extended to the characters who do, you know, have interesting things to do and interesting relationships. And the actors, I think, actually do a pretty darn good job. But there's just this lack of specificity to who each person is and what their distinct voice is. Other than being young and attractive. Other than being young and attractive and living in this crazy town. Um, and, and I think that is one of the, the real problems with the show. But, you know, I was surprised by how distinct the 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 Vampire Diaries is from, other, you know, because when it came out, it was like, oh, it's another vampire show. But I think there's a lot of stuff it does really well and that I would love to talk about with you once you get more caught mm-hmm. up. But um, strong female characters, very strong female yeah. characters who don't need to be saved. It it really skips all of the the twilighty fears that I had mm-hmm. uh, going into and it's, it. And, and that's worth mentioning because the 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 setup for the series is extremely twilighty. Oh, like so twilighty. It, it, this is almost beat for beat twilight except that it doesn't it's not terrible it basically it it's almost and and there's even a couple of moments in that first season at least where they explicitly mention twilight and it's like the whole thing feels like a riposte like just the fact that elena nina dobro's character is i mean she does stupid things on occasion like in one in one particular episode she removes her her protective necklace for no good reason and i was like come on but like (laughs) Other than that, especially for, I mean, there's a general, that's a general problem with women in horror fiction, which is that, you know, they're, they're often quite dumb. She can, I mean, she's about as sensible as a girl who falls in love with a vampire can possibly be. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously that part is always going to be a little bit dumb if you really think about it. But I mean, she's, she's got a good head on her shoulders. She fights back and she's, and although she does get rescued a lot, she's not waiting for rescue. Yeah. Uh, which is which is nice. Yeah. There's like I said, there is a lot that this show gets right. And um, I would love to talk about Vampire Diaries with people. So please leave comments or send me tweets on Twitter. I don't actually know anybody in real life, like in my day to day who has seen the show. My sister has seen like bits and pieces of it, but wasn't able to stick with the whole marathon the way that I was. And well, so I don't think, you know, enough 15 year old girls. <laughs> I think this is your problem. And neither do I. So I know a few people online, but uh, I don't know who all has seen it and who would want to talk about it. So I want to talk Vampire Diaries. Drop me a line if you do, too. Um, But let's get into our our week in TV. And we had on Tuesday, New Girl, which, of course, I know you're not following, which was the uh, the story of the 50. The whole episode was based around the um, it was a flashback story of finding out how Schmidt had been tasked with uh, putting $50 in the douchebag jar. Very nice to see the return of the douchebag jar, but the as can happen in these kinds of stories, the whole episode is built up to the payoff, and the, it was overhyped and didn't really work for me. But we got a bit more character development from the guys, and that was nice to see. Hopefully they, they keep the douchebag jar around, and and hopefully we keep the some of the developments from this episode. Uh, so I thought it was solid, but not amazing. And in a similar vein, we had on Wednesday, Suburgatory, the casino trip where uh, Alan Tudyk and Jeremy Sisto's characters go off for a crazy weekend uh, at in Atlantic City. Most of this episode was centered around um, 
whether or not Sisto trusts uh, his daughter to be alone, George trusts Tessa to be by herself over the weekend, along with uh, Tessa and her new boyfriend. Um, and so it, it just the whole thing was a bit too broad for me. Um, Chris Parnell's character is a gambling addict, and that, of course, goes way over the top. But I liked getting to see more Alan Tudyk with Jeremy Sisto, of course, um, and watching Tessa just trying to get to make out with her boyfriend who has come back from Africa and having seen things and just can't deal with it, you know, was, was pretty entertaining as well. But, um, but yeah, still, I kind of, what you were saying last week, I still think the show has not lived up to its early potential. Mm -hmm. I I hate to, to break up with shows and leave you stranded there, but I (laughs) I just had to, uh, speaking of things that I am having a little bit more fun with than that, we also saw Happy Endings, which was mm-hmm. a comedy that we both watched. The The thing with this show is that it's – I don't know when exactly this happened, but I think at some point it became easily the most rapid-fire comedy on yeah. TV. I would say challenged only by 30 Rock, but it has a better hit-to-miss ratio, um, which, yeah, I'm not – again, I'm not sure when that happened, but whatever. <laughs> uh, maybe it hasn't quite matched the highs of, say, the Halloween episode again, but it's – been enjoyable and i think even like this week there's this pretty labored plot about uh you know this this v-neck addiction uh, <laughs> that's you know it's you know it's it they really they, they go definitely too far with it like they just to structure an entire episode around it was kind of a bit much but they're having enough fun with it that it gets kind of infectious anyway now, for me, that was the definitely the C plot. I had a lot more fun with uh, with the uh, appearance of the the actor who, for me, at least until something very different comes yeah, along, yeah, yeah. will remain Dick Casablancas, uh, Ryan Hansen. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, he he was a lot of fun, and I I loved mm. the new Brad old Brad old Brad uh, thing with Brad and Jane. Just the cover, just the uh, the steak versus turkey dogs. <laughs> conversation made that worth the price of admission for me. I had a lot of fun with that. And before I forget, last week I didn't mention the racist parrot, which was freaking hilarious. So I wanted to mention that this week. I I really like some of the the more um, over-the-top elements that they bring in. And and this week I would say that that would be the V-neck addiction, be the more over-the-top one of the three. Mm -hmm. Um, But I still, I think that they managed to, to have enough fun with it that, I, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't feel as fake as I know it is. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they're they're just clearly having a blast making it, and it's it's it, it, in unlike with some other shows, I think that's actually translating into mostly laughs. Although, yeah, yeah like with, when you're throwing out that many gags, some of them are gonna land flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of things that I think we liked, and in this case, better than usual, uh, Top Chef. Yeah, Top Chef had a, Texas had a gooden for a change, like a yeah. really gooden. Uh, Charlize Theron was the guest this week, and it was because of some stupid movie she's in this year. It was themed around uh, evil queens and yeah. evilness and gore and death. <laughs> and um, this this was just a blast. I, I thought the the initial quick fire was really clever. I'm not sure if they've done that before. No, but, they haven't done the conveyor belt before. But I'm sure it's coming back at some point because mm-hmm. that was a, a really fun challenge. I, I especially loved. Um, the lobster race. <laughs> Chris, getting the lobster to grab his finger so he could take it away. Yeah, that was a, that was a good time. Uh, the caliber of cooking seemed to be really high for a change. Mm-hmm. And uh, just what people were coming up with for the um, 
for the final challenge, which, which was to cook a, an evil dish fit for an evil queen. It was just spectacularly creative and also delicious looking. Well, and I think it goes to show how much of the problem with this season is not just the chefs. I know we've been, at least I have been hard on the chefs feeling like they aren't as good this year as they have been in previous years. But I think a lot of that uh, criticism also needs to go to the judges because the challenges that they have cr- made or the producers maybe – this this week they gave them a creative, interesting challenge where they didn't have to be in teams and go without sleep and all of this. They gave them a, a much more interesting challenge and they rose to the occasion. Mm-hmm. How many episodes this season have been individual challenges? I can't even remember another single one. Yeah, there there may have been one, but I mean, I assume it's going to be all individual challenges from here on out because there's so few of them left. Well, and I wouldn't be surprised if if the quality remained much higher now that they're able to do their own thing without having to try to Mm -hmm. coordinate as a team and do this other stuff that, you know, especially with the time constraints and the budget constraints that they're not as used to doing and that don't actually show their individual skills. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When they're, when they're not having to wrestle with terrible ingredients or, or, you know, deal with a jerky coworker or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. When they can just pretty much let their freak flag fly, which they totally did this week. And I know we've discussed, um, you know, the caliber of specific chefs. And I, the thing is, I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for Grayson, even though I know that she's not necessarily as good as some of the other chefs. And I would have been really upset this week if she'd gotten kicked off because her dish was so badass. <laughs> the, the black chicken with the aborted fetus and the <laughs> blood everywhere. That was fantastic. The thing that was particularly frustrating for me this week was that I understand that it's a challenge and somebody's supposed to go home go home every week and that's the nature of the beast. But in this season where there have multiple times been situations where several people deserved to go home, to for them to send somebody home this week when really nobody deserved to go home was frustrating for me. And because it, it's something that they've done in the past where they've basically said, okay, well, this week... Nobody really deserves to go home. We'll send two next week or something like that. And, you know, when it, it's just so it was so frustrating to see it come people getting uh, getting sent home when they did such a great job, whereas other chefs have made it through doing a terrible job. So mm-hmm. or a passable job or a or passable at best. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, no, I, I and I think that just speaks to the imbalance of the challenges and just how yeah you, you would you would think after this many seasons they would have it down to a well-oiled machine they should it just but, but that also goes to show you how hard it is to make for a well-balanced uh season and you know, set of challenges and I, I appreciate that too but hopefully they take they register just how awesome this episode was and and maybe start to build around that also Charlize Theron can come back anytime. Yeah, she was so much fun. (laughs) Well, and you could tell that she knew her stuff, too, in her comments. Yeah. Which was was always great, because, you know, every now and again they have celebrities on who would just go, it was was good. Whereas she was saying, you know, I like the use of the black garlic because that Mm -hmm. the the flavor is, you know, that sort of a thing. So Mm -hmm. she clearly knows her stuff, which was was fun. Um, Let's move on to 30 Rock and the rest of the Thursday comedies. Of course, we do have our Thursday comedy uh, roundup article and review at the website if you guys want to check out some more thoughts there. But what did you think of Idiots Are People 2, the the season premiere or that? Sorry, the, the second episode of 30 Rock. Mm-hmm. There's, I, I have this weird thing with 30 Rock where I know other people seem to be really enjoying it. It's like an uncanny valley effect where 
I'm watching them pull off a joke. I know why it's supposed to be funny. It's witty on some level usually, but it's just not connecting to that funny synapse where I'm chuckling or laughing. It's just with a couple of rare exceptions. Like I, I see where you're going with this guys, but it's just not working for me. I'm not entirely sure what it is because hmm. it's, it's not, I mean, it's, they've got a talented cast and clearly a talented set of writers and just something is not connecting with three rock for me. Like the idea of, you know, having an idiots union fronted by Denise Richards. Funny. That's a, fu- that's just a, a funny idea to me. I don't know. Maybe it isn't to you, but like on paper, it's, it, it, it is, it is in bold funny and just I'm watching it and it's just not happening and I'm trying to figure out why. Well, I think it comes down to execution and they might have good ideas, but they're not executing them. And I was very um, interested to find that apparently a lot of people enjoyed this episode this week. I didn't laugh and I thought it wasn't funny. Um, I don't know if I liked it more or less than last week's, but I'm ge- I'm putting 30 Rock on notice and I'm giving them f- till the fourth week. So that'll be two episodes this week and one episode <laughs> next week. And then I'm dropping the show. I I feel like five episodes is enough time for them to have one mm-hmm. that I enjoy. But mm-hmm. it just, it was too broad. There were too many wasted opportunities. And I, the, the, the subplot with Tracy Morgan wasn't, wasn't interesting to me. And I thought uh, was, a somewhat failed attempt to to poke fun at at themselves for the his scandal over you know during the hiatus i think on that level was completely failed because i think i mean the what he actually i mean and it's it's a hard thing to take a show to task for because they're at least trying it i guess but what he says on the show is absolutely nothing on the level of what he said in real life. Not even a like little bit. Yeah. 50 times more, like 100 times more offensive. Mm-hmm. And of course, they they don't really seem to have the balls to tackle, you know, actual hate speech on the show, which I mean, what he said, it, what he's what he says here is, you know, jerky mm-hmm. and like what and like what Tina Fey says worthy of an idiot. But and I get if they, they want to play the situation for laughs, that's fine, too. But it wasn't particularly funny. So it didn't work on that level. You either go all in. Or or just don't worry, or just leave it to the side, and that's not part of the show. It doesn't have to be part of the show until they make it part of the show. And to to go so, just to to not commit to that the way that they could have, and they probably would have been at least it seems to me more successful if they had been willing to mm-hmm. actually go there. Um, just feels like a, a cop out. And I'm sort of disappointed also to see was it James Marsden? Yeah. Uh, who I, I assume hasn't been around before. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was disappointed to see that he's just another dumb boyfriend. Yeah. Like, I was sort of hoping they would do something new there. And may, I mean, maybe that's going somewhere new, but it doesn't seem like it is. Well, I felt like I was missing an episode. I was. I felt like there was some... In between what we saw last week, which is mystery guy on the escalator, to this week, I felt like we had missed seeing the episode where they're great together and happy and and all of this stuff we and so he was just totally yeah a loser but like i don't know if things are episodes are out of order or something but it didn't make sense and it was like you said for me it was very disappointing to see them do yet another loser boyfriend yeah for sure Spe- speaking of things on nbc that we generally enjoy more <laughs> parks and recreation although frankly ever since i've seen that the that footage of Rob Lowe in the Drew Peterson movie. <laughs> I can no longer think of him any other way because, wow. Uh, but this was okay, I thought. I wasn't totally blown away by this episode. I mean, we got Paul Rudd 
uh, showing up. Who I assume he'll be back a few more times as uh, Leslie's opponent, who has like ninety-seven percent of the vote or something, mm-hmm. uh, or theoretically. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was all right. I was sort of hoping that Paul Rudd's character would be a real threat or like have some credibility. I feel like making him a childish dope was kind of the easy way to go with that character but or one of the easy ways to go but you know it was a fine episode for me i think um and other people have had a similar complaint with paul rudd's character uh but for me that works because it fits so well within the world that they've created of of pawnee and and sweetums and all of that it makes sense to me and also it it allows assuming because right now parks and rec is one of nbc's higher rated series so assuming parks and rec is around for several years more it allows them to have her be in a another race down the line that has a competent challenger and that Mm -hmm. has so so that you know because i don't feel like you can go backwards i don't think you can have her in a close fought race with a worthy candidate and then do the idiot candidate yeah that's true you know so i think it will allow for her some growth uh in in the character and as she gains experience i think it also has an interesting thing to say about local politics because so much the show has has almost exclusively been very positive towards people involved in local politics. And so I think it's interesting that they're showing no idiots are involved too. So I thought mm-hmm. that I, I like what they're you know, saying, but I liked the yeah. dueling ads. I liked the final choice. I thought that was, that was, uh, was neat and fun and such a logical yeah, way you, for you, to go. You could see it coming, but yeah. yeah. Um, the, I'm also a little bit torn about the April and Andy stuff. Like some of it was funny, mm-hmm. but I I do kind of feel like where are they going with these characters? Are they just going to be sticky until the end of time? Well, and it's easy. I think they just want you to forget that Andy's supposed to be in his 30s at this point, at least 30, if not older. Whereas, I mean, April's, you know, like 22, 23, something like that. So you can kind of buy her being such an idiot about these things, but... Andy should have killed himself based on what we see this week um, by now. Cause he's what, eight years older than her. So he should be 30 at this Something point. Like that, yeah. Yeah. So while it, yes, it was fun, entertaining and all of that uh, and fits with the characters as we've seen them so far, I feel like they need to start maturing those two. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so that we can go with them on their baby steps to being grown ups. you know? Yeah. So. Th- them, them and Anne, they seem to be having a really tough time with, yeah, um, making any momentum with maybe they can have an open marriage. I don't know. <laughs> I did really like uh, the the one bit that I thought was probably most entertaining to me was uh, with Ron his attempt to shut to 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 shut yeah, the yeah, door. Yeah, yeah. That was that was a great callback for yeah. sure. I I we knew that was coming, but uh, yeah. So yeah, you know, definitely NBC's better comedy of the night. Oh, also the the list of things in the campaign ad seemed like <laughs> another sort of community style gag. Like what's What's going on with the with the community gags, guys? I don't know. <laughs> it was it was pretty anyway. fun. You can see the list that of that is up online. You can so you yeah, can find you can that. find that in many places. Uh, we also had, thank goodness, the premiere of Archer. It's mm-hmm. back. I'm so stoked. Uh, this was, of course, the they have Burt Reynolds in for this episode as himself, and that's really the plot synopsis of the episode. Yep. <laughs> uh, the, I mean, and that's fine because the the thing is, Archer is like usually a really like a weirdly meticulously plotted show like it's you know it's it's often quite elaborate even though it's you know very juvenile as well and it really felt like okay we've got Burt Reynolds great and then it, Adam Reed got to you know 
voice recording day was like, wait a minute, there's no plot. I just gave Burt Reynolds some dialogue. <laughs> uh, Cuban Hit Squad, good, let's go. <laughs> and but it's fine because, I, and I, I I always get concerned with like big name guest stars like this who have been hinted, who have been spoken of on the show before and then finally show up. Like it's usually a huge disappointment. And I thought Reynolds knocked it out of the park. I thought he was great. Yeah, it's it's funny. My notes are. It was a lot of fun. Burt Reynolds was great. The action set piece was great. And that's all I have to say because the, yeah, pretty that, much. that's all there is to say, I feel like. It was just so great having the show back and having all these characters. I was really happy to spend some time with them. And it was just really fun. And when you have a 20, 22-minute show, you can do an episode where it's just crazy fun with, with Burt Reynolds. Uh, mm-hmm. So I had a lot of fun. I don't really have anything else to say with it, but Archer, yeah. it's lovely to have you back in my yeah. TV life. I mean, the, the show has a short history of doing low stakes season premieres and then sort of getting to more interesting stuff later. I mean, they did that last season and then they threw a baby and breast cancer at us. So, <laughs> and you know, we've also got a uh, crippled Ray. So who knows where things are going? We maybe the entire cast will be destroyed and turned into robots. Who knows? Now after uh, Archer's, semi-premiere uh was uh the unsupervised pilot what did you think of this one is it uh one and one or zero and two for david hornsby uh not quite either i don't think um i i heard a lot of hate uh, directed at this pilot and i didn't totally hate it i mean the thing about it is it's very much like it's very much akin to something like beavis and butthead uh where you know you have these two kids who are you know quite quite juvenile in some ways but i think there's a it wasn't always funny but i did find a lot of it weirdly charming okay like i i think the the, the characters are likable it's got a, a pretty interesting voice cast I'm not crazy about the animation style or for that matter some of the supporting characters i mean like the australian neighbor is totally useless and that whole that whole sojourn in australia for that chunk of the episode was not funny and not interesting but I don't know. There's something about it that kind of makes me want to see where it's going, even though even if it didn't blow me away, it's certainly not as good as the Archer pilot. But it's definitely nowhere near as bad as How to Be a Gentleman. Clearly, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, though for me, I think I liked it less than you did. I just I didn't think it was funny. I thought you know there might be some interesting things going on, and I'm sure that there's a segment of the population that will very strongly uh, identify with these guys. And and if this is as true to some people's, you know, teen experience as it seems like it may be, then then I think I'm just not the audience for it. But I just didn't think it really was funny and that it nothing in it really clicked for me. The the neighbors I thought, but not just the Australian, I thought were just not interesting, uh mm-hmm. and just very stereotypical and over the top and just things that we've seen, not just stereotypical but stereotypical characters that we've seen on other better shows mm-hmm. so um yeah with all those things combined i the i enjoy the voice cast but nothing about their performances really drew me in i don't think i'm gonna really stick around for it but i understand why other people i can see what people would like about it and i do think it's a lot better than a lot of the pilots that we've gotten i think i may have actually enjoyed the napoleon dynamite pilot a little bit more than this Oof. But oh, that's don't say that. But it's because I, I kind of chuckled a couple times with that. But this one, I just I just kind of watched it and went. There was a half an hour of my life, but I didn't have any negative, like strong, and mm-hmm. you know, 
antagonistic feelings. I definitely found this more endearing. Than, okay. than, I think endearing is the right word for it. And hopefully they can build up the funny. And if they can do that and be endearing, I think that'll work. Yeah, lots of shows, lots of pilots have, yeah, comedy shows have weak pilots and really figure themselves out mm -hmm. as it goes. So I would not be uh, opposed to checking back in at, at some point if they have their voice further down. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, let's do that. Now, you decided for some reason to check, I assume because people have been pestering you, you decided to check back in on Person of Interest. Yes, I watched the past week's episode, uh, Legacy. Uh, this is one that I know some of our listeners very much enjoy and have been, uh, I, you know, saying, you know, you should give another shot. Uh, you know, we watched the pilot, we reviewed it, I wasn't too hot on it then. Um, but, you know, I, these kinds of shows often take, you know, most shows take a, a while to find their footing. So I, I watched the most recent episode. I think it's standalone enough that I wasn't really missing too much. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But I, it wasn't very interesting to me. I feel like Jim Caviezel is somewhat of a charisma vacuum in this. And I've enjoyed him in the past. I thought he was great in Frequency, for example. But here, he just kind of feels like he's filling space. And he did the character doesn't feel uh it feels too humorless for for the role like I, there were scenes in this episode where i could tell that they were supposed to be funny or i was supposed to be enjoying you know when he's talking about his his boss air quotes meaning of course michael emerson and michael emerson can hear him i could tell there was supposed to be humor there but it just didn't really hit for me um, michael emerson is of course always fabulous i think he's great but the character is so internalized that he's not very engaging to me. Um, and I'm not interested in the series arc. I don't care about the cops. Um, it, just, it wasn't terrible or anything like that. It's just it's not of interest to me. So the, the, it's not entertaining enough to have this be the procedural that I watch as opposed to any of the other numerous ones that are out there. Or as compared to, for example, we had the last two episodes of Prime Suspect this week, which we'll talk about later in the show. But this isn't even anywhere close to that as far as being a, a strong procedural. So, you know, I can see what people like about it, but it for me, it doesn't stand out. Yeah, that's pretty much what I figured based on not watching it. <laughs> now, so, go me. Go, go here. Now, next, we're, I'm going to talk about this week's episode of The Vampire Diaries. So Simon is going to go into an isolation chamber so he doesn't get spoiled here. And we are good. Okay, so... This season, of course, has had, this was uh, the ties that bind. We got some backstory about Bonnie. We met her mom. Uh, I, I don't get what's up with the show Absentee Parents, but um, I thought it was interesting to get some more story about her. I like where the season is headed. I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me that the, the mom has to be the one in the, uh, in, in the coffin. But uh, I, I can't wait to see what happens with that. I'm engaged by the, the love triangle. I like that they're not taking any easy outs with it. And they, I, I like what's happening with it. And the fact that they've kept me engaged in, in the same love triangle over three seasons, I think is, is a very well done and difficult task. So, uh, yeah, I'm having fun with it. And the only real complaint I have at this point is that I wish we got to see more of Damon and Elena just hanging out and being friends. Because they kind of went from he keeps killing her friends to now they are friends. And we didn't really see much of a transition other than their, their brief trip to Atlanta in season one. Um, but other than that, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with it. And I'm curious to see where things go. So it's uh, it's it's good stuff. I'm loving the, the you know, the this different Stefan that we're getting. So, yeah, I, I'm... Uh, 
yeah, I, I, I'm enjoying it. And of course, I catch up on the week when it's going to be off the air. It will not be on next week and we'll come back in February, but I'm looking forward to that. Now I'm going to wave at Simon, who's currently rocking out to some music on his headphones. And, yeah, uh, you're good to go. Rack, yeah, how was, how was that music treating you? Uh, it was good. I took a break. Anything you want to plug? Uh, nope. No, mostly just filthy, filthy rap. <laughs> okay, now on Friday, of course, I'm looking back in time to talk about a show you didn't watch. Grim of Mouse and Man, not very interesting, pretty forgettable. There's a review up on the website. Not bad, but not nothing noteworthy other than now it seems like Monroe is officially on Team Grim, which was a long time coming, and they should have done that around episode five. But uh, at least now that's out of the way. And we hopefully they can move on. I think I'm gonna have to. I think I'm gonna stop talking about Grim on the show on the podcast because they, you know, unless they have a particularly standout episode, just because it doesn't feel like there's that much to say most of the time. Though there was the snake monster this week was pretty pretty awesome. The CG of that was pretty great. But in general, it's Grim is Grim. It's procedural with slightly serialized elements, and it's still interesting, but not great. Wop wop. Sad trombone. We also had Fringe. Now, I hear we're going to disagree on this one a bit. I think maybe. Uh, you were a big fan of this one, uh, which, what was the name of this one again? Enemy of My Enemy. The Enemy enemy of My Enemy, right. Uh, you know, this is sort of the time of the season that it feels like they think they're going into high gear and really getting us excited, and I just can't get excited this time around. And I think there's a few reasons. I mean, first of all, I know he's great, but like, Bringing back Jared Harris as, like, I mean, clearly he's working for uh, Nina, which is, I don't really know what that's about. And, I mean, we're not supposed to know, but I'm just like, really? They couldn't, like, I, I, I don't know why they're not, they're, we're in a whole new universe. Like, why not give us a new villain? Like, come on. Really? But, you know, and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm having a difficult time just when I think of the past seasons and when... We've gotten to this point where it seems like things are really ramping up and, and you know, the, the tension's getting higher. I just, I'm not feeling that same electricity to what's going on. Interesting. Um, for me, I actually was so glad to see Jared Harris back as, and as the same, same character. Because when I watched this originally, now the only reason I stuck with Fringe in its first season was because they were doing that thing where there are only five minutes of commercials in the whole hour. So... I would watch it live because there were going to be like no commercials. And that's the sole reason that I stuck with it. And his episodes were so much better than most of the rest of season one. Uh, I really enjoyed the character. I was very disappointed when he was killed off or at least well, disappeared. season one was a bit of a crapshoot. Um, and so I, it, it, but it also always felt like such a wasted opportunity with that character because not very few of their other villains have even come close to his level of interest and, and menace, I would say. So I was very glad to see him back. And, you know, I don't really know, we don't really know what's going to happen as far as having characters, um, like revert to the original universe or stick with this, you know, we don't really know exactly what's going to happen with that. So I understand not wanting to introduce a completely new villain if they're only going to be around for maybe half the rest of the season, and then we're going to go back to our other universe, et cetera. So I think it's more interesting to have pre-established relationships. And just, I think it was worth the price of admission as <laughs> you to use the same phrases like 30 seconds ago in order to get to have that fabulous scene with Peter and Jones, just to see Jared Harris or his character just squirm because there's an unknown entity 
uh, I really enjoyed that scene, and I, it showed to me how strong J- uh, Joshua Jackson has and can be on this show because I thought he was really great in that scene. Uh, the thing is, yeah, that's a good scene, and he has had some good scenes with Walter and Walter Nitt as well. But that's, I think, another weakness for me is that so much of this season is dependent not on Anatorv and not on some of the other more interesting players. I mean, I think out of the main trio, I don't think anyone's going to argue the fact that Joshua Jackson is the least interesting performer. Mm. And so much of the season relies on him. And he's he's our only tie back to the original universe. And that's a, honestly a bit of a bummer. And also just the fact that, you know, we the, the odds of Fringe getting another season are pretty slim. The fact that we've only got, what, 10, 12 episodes left to, you know, to, to really effectively tie this to the three seasons that we've already watched and make it count and make it interesting. I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit pessimistic about that. Well, I, I hear what you're saying. I think, I feel like this is going to be one where I'm going to have to go back and re-judge, you know, recalibrate maybe my thoughts on the season after it's all aired. For now, I'm along with the, for the ride. And I also wanted to mention, I thought Orla Brady was fabulous as, as Elizabeth. Um, she's had very few episodes over the course of the series, but I feel like every time she shows up, she's great. So mm-hmm. the scene that we get between her and, and Walter is just so lovely. And, mm-hmm. and I, I actually kind of wish that it, that had happened like three weeks ago so that we could move forward this, this, you know, new yeah. Walter. Yeah. And that's, to work with yeah. Peter. And that's another thing. The whole season has felt quite sluggish to me also, especially compared with like say season two. But, uh, yeah, and also we got the cow back, so I guess that's something. <laughs> now, Saturday we had episode two of The Fades. Uh, what did you think of this one? How did it compare to the pilot for you? And are you interested in where the season's going? Uh, yes. I'd, all of the, I'd, all of those things, even if some of them aren't yes or no <laughs> questions. Uh, I'm really digging this so far. And I actually think, it's, I mean, there's only four episodes left. I'm liking its chances to maybe snag a spotlight spot for me. Hmm. Uh, assuming, because... Really, what what it's really going to pivot on that next week, I think, because a lot of these first two episodes are prelude, and just setting up the universe and letting us know who these people are, and 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 you and and you know, and this week was really about deepening the characters, I think, especially uh, the 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 best friend, uh, Paul, I think his name is, or is Paul sounds, I don't, I'm yeah. terrible with names, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, and his relationship with his father and stuff, which I thought was was really touching. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just the, the pay, it's got crackerjack pacing and, uh, the effects are mostly pretty decent. And I'm, I, I just, I think it's got, it's got a great tonal balance between humor and horror. And it's, this wasn't quite as scary. I didn't think as the first week. I mean, we don't, we don't necessarily have as many apocalyptic visions and stuff like that, but I just really, I really dig the world of the show. And I, I, I liked the main character's revelation, uh, Peter Parker style revelation near the end of the episode that he, yeah, he's going to try to do, to try to live both lives. And I, I don't know. I thought it was that a nice mix of sort of doom laden and cute at the same time. I'm, I'm really digging where this is headed. I didn't like this episode as much as last week. Um, actually, I think kind of by quite a bit, like the further I get from it, the, the less interested I am in it. I didn't really have very much to say other than I did really enjoy what we got with the main character, his, his uh, soul searching that we saw just a little bit more time with his family. I enjoyed that, but as much as I do enjoy the best friend, I felt like there were, I mean, there are too many Star Wars references, even for me. Um, it didn't feel. Well, I think that's, that's, that's on purpose though. I mean, he's, he's not just a nerd. He's more than that. He's, he's really anti, like he's, 
he's really antisocial. Like he but has a it, really hard time. It didn't feel in any way as in in his character from what we'd seen last week. Somebody who cared that much about going to the dance and getting you know hooking up with chicks wouldn't be quoting Star Wars all over the place because you cannot. Uh, they would know that you cannot do both. So you think Star Wars nerds don't try to get laid? I think they don't go around quoting Star Wars references to girls they're trying to hit on. Oh, I, I would disagree with that, but... Really? I don't know. You think guys who I, know that the chick doesn't like Star Wars use Star Wars lines on them I, thinking I think that if will do something? I think if they're nervous and socially ineffective enough, totally. I am in utter disagreement with you about this. And I, I, I just loved how failed he was, and just and I, I thought just everything with him and was, was, was really sweet. I'm really curious to see how he's going to place amidst all this you know rising apocalypse yes uh, <laughs> i did like yeah. his stuff with his father though i, I will say and the mm -hmm. um i'm i'm i i liked how hardcore gore they went this week as opposed to last week where there was a lot more implied i like that they committed to that this week so yeah, yeah i i do i mean i didn't have that much to say about this week's and it didn't strike me as much but i am still very interested in the show and definitely i'm gonna stick with it i think for the whole six weeks so and and the preview for next week looks intriguing <laughs> <laughs> we'll say that yeah um we also had on saturday uh, the premiere of season two of an idiot abroad which is one you caught last year but you didn't catch up with the the premiere this season they're doing um the conceit is that it's a bucket list but it's not carl's bucket list <laughs> so they gave him a list of 100 things and he picked off some of the different ones that he would be okay with doing and then of course as he's on the flight over he finds out that he's doing all these other ones that he had said that he was not willing to do so um, I think it's fun. I still like the show. I got a, a lot of fun out of it last season. So um, the the central conceit is is I think smart to change it up from from what it was last year. And I'm having some trouble with the artifice of it. This week uh, they try to get him to bungee jump, and he's not willing to do it. He won't do it. He's like you can actually see that he's pretty terrified, which I thought was interesting. But then like the next day they go to this to Vanuatu and do land diving, which you know is something that they can't have set up that day. So it has to have been previously arranged. So they knew that he wasn't going to bungee jump and that's why they set up the, you know, so like just the artifice of that is bothering me a little bit more than it did last year. But other than that, I think it's a lot of fun and Carl Pilkington makes for a very entertaining presenter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I caught a couple episodes over the holidays actually when I was in Ottawa and it was I, I found it to be passably entertaining. Like I, I didn't really retain any of it once I was done watching it, but it was good, good disposable fun. I mean, I, I guess if I was watching more critically, definitely the, the sort of more contrived aspects would probably start to crop up and get annoying. But it's it's a fun watch for sure. Yeah. Now on Sunday, I watched Once Upon a Time, seven fifteen a.m. This was another Snow White and Prince Charming backstory episode, and we met Stealthy, the eighth dwarf, who gets killed. Seriously, his name was Stealthy, and he was dressed, like, in all black, with wearing a black beret. Um, here's the thing. Uh, once upon a time, it's time for us to have a break. Uh, I'm probably going to keep watching it just because my sister enjoys it and I watch it with her, but I'm not going to talk about it on the podcast because there's nothing new to say. Robert Carlyle is still fun, and the Snow White and Prince Charming, the, the names of the actors escape my, my mind at the moment, they are very watchable. But the overall story, there's terrible music, it's a lot of really bad dialogue, 
it's not a good show as far as I'm I, concerned. I feel silly just listening to you talk about it. So yeah, stealthy, stealthy the dwarf, really. Stealthy. Yeah, and they're explaining why Grumpy is Grumpy. So, so was he not named Grumpy before he got uh, he he got thrown into jail for doing nothing wrong and lost his girlfriend? Was he named Happy then? Whoa, 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 whoa hold on. They give Grumpy an origin story. Yes, they do. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Uh, our our general cultural obsession with origin stories needs to stop. It does. It really does. But let's move on to much better and also sadder things. Prime Suspect aired its last two episodes. Presumably it's going to be canceled or at least not picked up next year. So this is probably the last that we're getting. It was Ain't No Sunshine and Stuck in the Middle with You. Um, now, you didn't get to see Ain't No Sunshine. So I'll just briefly say I thought it was touching. I liked. They thought they took a couple... Um, pretty tired uh, storylines of the grieving, grieving mother making this case personal for the cop um, and the, the child accidentally kills someone by playing with a gun thing. And I thought they did them very well. Brian Alpha Byrne knocked out of the park with his scenes in the, the first episode. And uh, there was a lot of fun uh, squad room shenanigans involving a gumball machine. So I had a lot of fun with that episode, but we also had the finale stuck in the middle with you. What did you think of Prime Suspect's finale and as the series as a whole? Uh, you know, it's, it is it is frustrating for sure that it's not getting... I mean, it didn't even get a full season, which really blows. I mean, by NBC standards. By most standards, it got a full season. But um, I thought it was a fine episode. It was as uh, probably as fitting an ending as they would have had time for, which they really didn't have time for. Um, you know, it... it, it it ends, you know, it ends on this pleasant note of I'm she's gonna keep doing her thing and the the squad's all there and it's you know it's it's about you know it, it's a little bit you know on on the sentimental side I guess but it but it's still by you know according in accordance with the show standards it's not over the top in any way uh, again uh, I feel like a lot of the show kind of rests on Brian O'Byrne like more than you would expect based on based on the fact that it's supposed to be prime suspect. Um, I, I think he's great. I mean, I'm sure that between this and Mildred Pierce, like he's going to be getting great roles until the end of time. So I'm sure I'm confident he'll land on his feet again. It would be great to see Maria Bello get another really great role because I was just rewatching History of Violence the other day and she's great and she gets thankless wife roles a lot. And I'm hoping that will stop. Uh, yeah, I mean, not, I don't have too much to say, to say about the specific episode. It did feel a bit rushed at times. Uh, just because there was so much going on, and I mean, Andre Royo shows up and doesn't get nearly enough to do, but you know, that's but that's you know the old Wire fan talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like the episode too. I agree. I thought it had it was as fitting a finale as they were going to be able to do um, at this point. I liked the 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 last scene they ended on, bringing things full circle with Duffy and Timony. I thought was a nice touch, but also not overplayed. It didn't feel sappy like it might have. Um, I really liked seeing, I thought Maria Bella was great in the episode. I love just the, the comfortableness of her family, you know, at game night. I thought that was really cute and really uh, nice to see from a character that started out much less comfortable, I would say, being mm -hmm. just a quiet family person. So that was nice. And uh, getting to seeing Duffy move on from Rivera was nice, at least in some to some extent. So there were, and then of course there was plenty of humor with, with Duffy get having the, the hit out on him. So yeah, it was uh it was, it was a fun episode. I also liked that we got some backstory for Kirk Acevedo's character, or was that last week? This is the first episode, Calderon's family. I think that was the first one. Cause I don't that was remember the first much one. In, the, in the second. 
Okay. Well, yeah, just it's been such a great show and it's just this is what good procedurals are and this whole cast needs to get similar awesome jobs but actually have people watch preferably yeah. together but i don't know maybe kirk Acevedo will come back to to fringe now yeah and hey may, maybe the firm crapping out as badly as it has will make nbc reconsider their priorities yeah maybe i doubt it but maybe i'll i'll, I'll join that optimism wagon not, with you. not not in the sense of this show getting you know coming back because that's clearly yeah. not going to happen but yeah or so i hear but yeah maybe yeah. they'll They'll take a long, hard look and fire some people, and maybe we'll be back here next year with something similarly good. Yeah. Well, let's let's finish up our week in TV with Downton Abbey episode three. Um, what did you think? Screw you, internet, is what I think. <laughs> uh, this did not do it for me. Um, they, you know, I think season two has been ticking along okay so far with with a few sort of niggling habits, and then this week kind of did everything. I feel like all of the show's worst tendencies came out in full force this week and just kind of drowned out the goodness. I mean, it's it's still a it's still a very watchable show with a very entertaining cast and good writing and great production values, etc. But man, if they weren't trying to make me hate this show really, really hard (laughs) this week. Yeah, I'm absolutely on the same page with you, and I don't understand people liking this episode because I just it was full of contrivance. And yes, as we were talking about with Alyssa earlier, uh, this uh off off mic that is this is a soap opera that has always been a soap opera but this week it felt like a bad soap opera the contrivances in getting thomas there working ahead of carson and the major character changes or shifts personality shifts at least that i saw in lady isabel and lord grantham just obnoxious i I didn't feel like these are the same people at all lord grantham especially i mean I thought it was interesting to see a guy who's who's sort of neutered and feels like he should be contributing to the war effort in a, in a, in a really significant and not just symbolic way. And then this week he gets a chance to help out, you know, convalescent soldiers and he's a dick about it. Like really? Yeah. We're supposed to we're supposed to like this guy? Well, and with Lady Isabel, assuming I'm remembering the right character name, uh Yes, she's always been somewhat pushy and she's had power struggles with with uh the Dowager Countess, but She's just a bitch. She's completely taking over their home and not not even letting the lady of the house in on any conversations. That's mm-hmm. just that's just ridiculous and that is not the character that we met. That is not the character from the second episode who came and was so concerned with impre- impressions and and being polite and operating well in that society. And we haven't seen that progress. We've just seen her this week be a total bitch yeah but you know what she still didn't bother me as much as the dowager herself Mm. who just her scheming with mary this week just was so smug and annoying and i know that her character in particular has a huge following i don't get it i find her (laughs) especially especially this week i found her insufferable and richly deserving of a good solid punch and you know maggie smith's a hearty lady she can take it i know she's old (laughs) but she can take it she needs a good slap um, what did you think about the Anna and Bates thing? You know, oh, that also sucked. I mean, like, I was the thing is, like, we were missing Bates last week, and we knew he was going to crop up again. And you know, good to see him and all because he's you know a, a really great character. But just when they're sitting there in the bar and they're and he's like, oh, don't worry, we'll be together soon. You know, that's not true. You know, there's going to be some other 
huge contrivance around the corner to keep them apart because that's the sort of thing that bad soaps do. And yeah. I'm just dreading finding out what it is. And I'm sure it's probably something annoying wife related, but you know, maybe not. I, I did actually like what we got with Mary, Edith and Sybil this week though, for, for what it's worth. I liked that stuff. And I also like, as much as I'm not crazy about the whole, there being a secret problem with, uh, with Lavinia Swire that involves, um, mm -hmm. that involves Mary's maybe fiance. I actually liked the way that panned out this week with Mary in a, in a really tricky position and trying to actually trying to do the right thing for a change. Mm -hmm. uh, that was that was actually an interesting dynamic. That was, I think, the most interesting thing happening this week. Yeah. Well, and the Daisy and William stuff was OK, though. Daisy needs to get her head out of her ass because I don't know why she's uh, not digging William. But given her previous taste in men, uh, Thomas, you'd think she would appreciate a nice guy. But. Well, she doesn't. I, honestly, I'm more annoyed with with Mrs. Padmore. Like she is, she is really useless this week. And I just wanted her to shut up every time she she crowed on about the situation. Like let her let her make her own choices. Come on. Yeah. And I, I I don't know. Maybe like that's not necessarily a problem, but I thought I found it excessively irritating. Yeah, I just not a good episode this week. I mean, I was I was completely disappointed in this. So hopefully they will write themselves and quickly but i mean i just my frustration at thomas being there and in yeah. charge of downton is enough to make me kind of want to stop watching the show i i'm not going to but it's really bugging me yeah yeah i'm i'm we're uh, unlike with fringe we're totally agreed <laughs> on this one um let's we're gonna take a break and we're gonna come back uh with to spotlight, un, you know, not unsurprisingly, the season three premiere of Justified the Gunfighter. So we're going to take a break, listen to a little music, and we'll be right back. That was Home Sweet Home by Stacey Wilde, and this is our spotlight on Justified Season 3 premiere. Yes, we all expected pretty much that this would be our spotlight episode of the week, um, but for me it was pleasant It was pleasant to have that uh, expectation met. What did you think of Justified this week? Yeah, I, th I think the trick for me with Justified, I mean, there was no good wife this week, which has been our, our spotlight queen for a bit. And I, I'm, I'm, I, you know what? I figured it was the token spot for it to be spotlight just because it's such a fun show. But I think it actually earned it mm -hmm. this week, which is, which is what I'm, I'm very happy with. I mean, they're coming off, uh, you know, th their most acclaimed season so far, like by far, especially with Margot Martindale's, you know, getting as many awards as she can grab. Um, and I, they're, they're in a really tough spot, and I think that they pulled this off with panache. I mean. I was really worried when I heard about the fact that they were bringing in multiple villains and, you know, also keeping on some other uh, cast members. But I think actually the way that they seem to be doing this is kind of brilliant. Uh, I, I think that we're, we've had, I think this episode sets up what could potentially be a very different season of the show that still honors what's good about it. I think we're looking at a season that's going to be denser more complicated with more competing interests 
and and just generally a, a lot more characters and a lot more going on. And I think that's a that's a potentially really smart way to go if if the if the writing can pull it off. And I think this episode suggests that it can. Well, the strength of this series, there's many strengths, but the biggest one for me is always character. And these are really interesting characters in a fully fleshed out world. And so this season with, you know, the lost Mags Bennett, but that I think they do a great job of introducing plenty of new characters that are all very interesting and say have interesting ways to contribute to this world. For me, though, the most the the. the the strongest element of the premiere is I love that we're going to see Raylan off his game for a while. He's mm-hmm. it's called the gunfighter, the episode that is, and he's always been, that's been one of his defining characteristics. That he's a crack shot and, uh, and that he can always rely on that. So to have him thrown off his game, unable to rely on his quick draw or even just his accuracy for standing fixed point gun raised, he's not hitting the target um, that's, I think, really interesting, and I'll, I, I'm going to enjoy, I, I assume, watching that progression over the season. Mm-hmm. I liked watching Boyd manipulate his way into jail. I think that's going to be fun. Nice to see Jeremy Davies back. But uh, I mean, I, I'm just trying to figure out how Jeremy Davies is going to live past the next episode. <laughs> honestly, uh, I, I'm still, as much as I do enjoy the new the new guys, I've I've enjoyed uh, Neil McDonough for years now. I thought he was great on Boomtown and even made parts of Tin Man watchable. Not much of it, but parts. Um, <laughs> but I, I think the mo- most interesting new character is Desmond Harrington's uh, Fletcher, the ice pick. What's his last name? Uh, Nix, Fletcher Nix, the, the ice pick guy. And just the elegance of Raylan's solution to, to his standoff. Oh, my God. When... <laughs> Because what? All right. Because everything. I think this is actually one of their one of their cleverest individual episodes. Because there's so much fun foreshadowing and mm-hmm. stuff that you don't necessarily know is going anywhere that totally does. Um, and I love the way you see him. Dis- you see the Desmond Harrington character dispatch someone early in the episode, and you can't like you're you're thinking about it. And I'm like, okay, he's probably going to do this again later. And I can't really think of a good way out. Like it seems mm-hmm. like you're just screwed when because you know he pretty much puts a gun in front of you, gives you 10 seconds, but you're not going to get it. And he's going to, you know, he's going to kill you. Um, and then of course, like clockwork near the end of the episode, he puts Raylan in that exact same position. And, um, and one thing I really like about that scene is Winona. Mm-hmm. And I, I just love the way that she is clearly terrified, but keeps her cool and just probably quietly figures that Raylan's going to going to, going to find his figure his way out of it. Uh, which he does, and it was such an elegant solution. Yeah, elegant is is exactly the right word for it, and you know, perfectly foreshadowed by his by his aim in the shooting range. Mm-hmm. Um, everything about that was great. I assume I don't think we're going to see that character again, or if we do, you know, he'll be in jail or whatever. But it was definitely, I, I think, for a one off villain, it's one of their best. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Now that you say that, you're right. I don't know that we sh- will see him again, but I. That's a shame because he's just such a fun character. It's you know, mm-hmm. we talk, talked about the hats with Prime Suspect in the past, but and with this we series, got dueling of course, hats this we have week. Dueling hats, the white hat and the black hat, and it seems so obvious and on the nose, but it, they did it so well um, mm-hmm. that I, I that I got a real kick out of it. What I mm-hmm. didn't get a kick out of, they still are having trouble for me with Ava. Um, I kind of just wish they'd killed her off. Well, the thing with me with Ava this season is I kind of see two possibilities and neither is it neither is necessarily all that bad. One is they fix Ava, which would be great. Like they they make her autonomous and maybe 
maybe have a conversation or two with her and Raylan or with her and you know someone where she kind of explains what she's been doing over the last <laughs> season and a bit because her motivations have been hard to place. Even just one or two scenes would be fine. Mm-hmm. That being said, with so much going on this season, if the show still has an Ava problem, it's going to be less of a deal than it was last season. Because there's just there, with there's so many players now, and if they screw her up, and but still get the big picture right, it would I I feel like it'll be less of a thorn in my side than it was before. I think I just have to try to accept the fact that this is not the character we met. This is not the character I'm interested in or like. This is a mm-hmm. completely different character played by the same actress who is far less interesting. And mm-hmm. maybe if I just accept that and move on and stop hoping that this this show, which is so good at character and so good at through lines and so good at development, uh, just accept that they're not going to do that for her. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll bother me less. And yet it's a sign of how good the show is that even though I'm annoyed with her character, I still really enjoyed her scenes. Like she she did have a few nice cutting bits of dialogue and I did enjoy I did appreciate her special use of a cast iron pan. Um and uh, I I I think the other character who's sort of hovering around there that I'm very curious to see what they'll do with is uh is Arlo mm-hmm. who um is played by Raymond Barry. Uh, who's just been fantastic in the other two seasons and is seems to be a bit neutered now, but I'll be I'm assuming that he'll have something to do at some point in the near future. For me, it just feels like such a stretch for them to still be in the story. I feel like they're not relevant to what's going on with Raylan and with the the villains of the piece. The new characters mm-hmm. are introduced, or you know, and now that they Raylan doesn't talk to his father and he doesn't talk to Ava and Boyd's in jail. And so Boyd isn't really even interacting with Raylan. They feel like they're in their own show, and I'm not interested in watching that show. It feels like a stretch. To, it feels sort of like the the Friday Night Lights. Oh, they were actually freshmen, even though everybody thought mm-hmm. that they were sophomores. Situation. Well, I, I think I think we're gonna have to see how that plays out when when you know the Neil McDonough character starts to really interact with Harlan and and starts to sort of try to expand his criminal enterprise. And uh, I'm also curious, I mean, there's also still a villain we haven't met who's played by Michael T. Williamson, Mm -hmm. who I guess appears this week, and we don't know how that figures into all this. And we still have Carla Gugino showing up basically as Karen, not Cisco, but something (laughs) else. Not Karen Cisco, yeah. And, And whom the showrunners... Uh, half-assedly deny is Karen Sisko. Yeah, I believe um, the character's name is Goodall, but... Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, and then, of course, um, we didn't even mention uh, Wayne Duffy. Right, yeah, and yeah, Wind, I mean, uh, Jer Burns, yeah. uh, Burns uh, has, was so great in his brief appearances in the first two seasons, and they've... We'll, we'll, we'll find out if it was wise or, or if it ends up being too much of a good thing, but he apparently is going to be here for the entire season run or close to it this time around, mm-hmm. and... Uh, he's just so much fun to watch, and uh, he, he, I mean, he hasn't really been as scary ever as he was in that first ep- in that first season appearance. But I loved his scene with Raylan this week when yeah. Raylan just inadvertently breaks a a, you know, a, a promise, promise or a threat from yeah. before and just can't face him. And I love the way Tim's like, "Oh no, don't he's worry, he's not, not gonna, gonna remember." remember. He, he totally remembers. <laughs> of course, he remembers. I just love the look on, like you know, the the Raylan, you know, and Tim are talking about. It. Tim's like, "It's a different conversation." Raylan, the look Raylan gives him, and then he. You could see just him, I can't believe I'm saying this, and pulling out that same line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was yeah. so much fun. And, and that brings up another thing, which is 
once again, will they use the other marshals this year? And there are indications that they kind of will. I mean, Mm -hmm. Tim gets a little bit of play this week, although Rachel gets relegated to quiet, depressed-looking fake hobo (laughs) in the bus stop, which was really sad. But um, I I, I did happen to... There were some glimpses in the season preview of some stuff going on with some of the other characters, so uh, maybe. Yep. I don't feel like they've done a good enough job of making her feel like a credible marshal. Um, I think the Tim, they gave him the sniper's backstory. We've seen him be really good at his job. We've only seen her highly interact in about two cases. And I have trouble buying her as a tough chick. So I think that hopefully they will do more with her this year to expand on that. Um, I, I yeah. liked her in... Like that brief scene we see her with Art and Tim taking out the guys while Raylan goes to save Ava from Boyd. Mm-hmm. I think in the I think that's in the pilot. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I I I bought her as tough and no nonsense then, but I haven't since that episode. So well, she's gotten so little to do. Yeah. And I think I think that's the that's really the main thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with the performance. I th- I think the real challenge for them this this year, I and mean, clearly they've got the wit down pat they've got Mm -hmm. the world down pat they've got characters down pat for the most part it's just a matter of will they do justice to this insane number of people and probably they won't but it's going to be fun watching them try absolutely i'm so on board for this season yeah i'm i'm pretty goddamn stoked (laughs) (laughs) i'm not gonna not gonna lie and 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 we've said it before and we'll say it again timothy elephant is totally the most underrated lead actor of any show right now he's just so he's just so great yeah he's pretty fantastic um so yeah that was a pretty great you know episode i would say a mixed week but not bad definitely we've had worse um next week we're gonna have the uh, the touch pilot is premiering uh it's getting a preview screening next week um and uh but otherwise a, a kind of light week next week other than good wife will be back um and mm-hmm. the luck pilot is airing next week as well which yeah, we already talked about but it, it's it's good yeah we think um so but yeah so so i'm just gonna be happy to watch justified tonight it, it's it's such a pain waiting you know a week to talk about it but we actually considered moving the day of the podcast for a while just so we could have just like fresher <laughs> justified to talk about but yeah that's all right i'm sure we'll, i'm sure we'll talk about it tonight and just generally yeah. geek well, out and, and i'll have review. and i'll have a review i'll yeah. have a review up i am very swift with my tv reviews so it'll be up late tonight yeah so uh we're going to do a few show notes here we have of course our intro and outro music is sweet petite by the bicycles you can find us on itunes and subscribe there or otherwise we i know some people uh, i believe it was ken <laughs> at least one of our listeners hates itunes you can listen to us on mevio or current as well and the, there will be a post up on sundonsite.org please leave us comments let us know what you think let us know whether or not uh, uh geeky guys who know chicks don't like star wars would still try to impress them with star wars uh, i totally would <laughs> um and of course uh we're on twitter i'm at the televerse you are at sucker howl and we are going to have i know it's in the middle of the week but simon's travel schedule did not really allow us to have a weekend meetup but we're going to have a meetup in chicago february 20 ooh second first i think 21st well, it's a tuesday 
Isn't and, that the 21st? Yeah, because the 20th yeah. is the Monday. Oh, yes. The twenty, the 21st uh, of February. And we're going to go to the Siskel Film Center, watch some Mulholland Drive, and go hang out afterwards. So if you're interested in that, please drop us a line. Send us an email, theteleverse at gmail.com. We'd love to meet you guys and for whoever's in the Chicagoland area uh, and uh, get to get to meet you guys in person, put a face with a name, and, and uh, have, have some fun. So that's what is going on for, for right now. And we're going to take a quick break here, listen to the theme song, and then come back and talk with, with Alyssa Bame from the Big Red Podcast and talk some Terriers. So, Which you can watch on Netflix Instant now, by the way. Yes, it is legally available. <laughs> we'll be right back after this. Christ. Hey, that is not a small man. Remind me again how much we're getting paid on this? I'll tell you after. Winston, stay. You know, I'm sorry. Can I, can I, uh, my cell phone crapped out of me, and I, can I use your phone just to make a call, find out where the hell I'm No, 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 come on. You married? Not that I know of. <laughs> so my wife leaves, and all she does is bitch that I won't let her take any furniture. So I said to her, you want it? You gotta come steal it. <laughs> hey, sorry, thank you. No problem. Remind me again, how much are we getting paid for this? It's my dry cleaner's dog. She said anything we bring in the next two weeks, no charge. Come on, what else are we gonna do today? Cure cancer? Baby. Hey! That's my dog! Time to go. What oh, do you think you're doing? Get go, 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 get over. Come on, go, 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 go! Hey! Winston! Come back! I'm gonna get you guys! That's fun, eh? Your dry cleaner's dog? What do you own that could possibly need dry cleaning? <laughs> with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzig, joined by Mr. Simon Howell, and this week on the DVD shelf, we are happy to welcome back for the second time, for the first time, Alyssa Bohm for the Big Red Podcast to talk Terriers. <laughs> Alyssa, you're our first double guest. Welcome back to the Yay! show. Yay me. <laughs> so uh, last last time we talked about uh, uh, Middleman, this time we're talking Terriers. Why do you like Terriers? Uh, terriers was, a, was an unexpected... Uh, pleasure to discover in uh, the fall of 2010 when it premiered on fx it's um a good old-fashioned pi show and it's about uh poor people and it's about the disenfranchised and it's about southern california so it's all the things that i really like all mixed together in one uh nice little show great now it's a show that i know not many people caught when it was on the air it had terrible ratings actually um, and it's, yes. it's now on Netflix. Uh, it's still not on DVD, but at least people have a way to watch it. Simon, did you manage to catch Terriers when it was on the air? Uh, yeah, which is saying something because it's hard to overplay just how few people watch this. Uh, like, it, it, it easily got the worst ratings in FX's history. And I, I, I think it's worth discussing maybe why a little bit later, but I think it's first we should talk about the show itself. Uh, I like I actually love the show for all the reasons that Alyssa talks about. 
uh, as well as uh, more specifically for the cast. Um, it's a really great ensemble of, of people that I haven't really seen uh, do a whole lot else. I know Michael Raymond James was on uh, True Blood and uh, and Donald Logue has a very long history of strange roles in television and independent film. But uh, they they really pulled together this this really interesting group of, mo- of mostly character actors and really got the best out of all of them thanks to the Cracker Jack writing. Um, something that I find particularly interesting about it is it finds its feet quite quickly. The the first couple episodes are a little bit sillier than the rest of this of the season, which is generally a bit more serialized and. Uh, the stakes are quite a bit higher, but other than that, I, I feel like it finds its groove uh, really quickly. And another great thing about it is that it is a one-season wonder, but it's a very nicely contained one. Yes, it's uh, it's not like a like a Rubicon situation, which which to me the other major sort of canceled show of 2010 where it just ends and it's a mess. It's just a total mess. And I, I know that Rubicon has loads of problems, but there was a lot I liked about it. Rubicon began as a mess, too. Oh, yes, totally, yeah, which is probably a big reason of why it ended up uh, a mess. Terriers was much more consistently conceived, uh, and I and it and it ends... I mean, there's a, 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 some... There's a, there's an amount of ambiguity in, in how it ends, and, you know, there's a few loose ends, I suppose, but it it's much more satisfying than you might expect. It's a show that when uh, when it goes to black, you sort of, you can very easily imagine like what more stories would be for, for these people. So I always think that's a very satisfying thing to, to as a viewer, when, when you have a, a series like this. Well, and it ends on somewhat of a cliffhanger. You could say, you can make that argument, but to me, it's really not because of, the journey that the characters have made. And so while plot-wise it's technically a cliffhanger, if you know the characters and you see the journey that they've made over the course of the episodes in this one season, you know what's going to happen. And so because of that, I think it's actually rather satisfying. If uh, if I had to pitch the show to fans of any other series, I think I would have to bring up Veronica Mars. Mm-hmm. Because that they actually share a lot of DNA. I mean, they're they're both PI shows they both sort of revolve around a season-long mystery of sorts while also sort of having, you know, little mini mysteries or uh, or things to deal with in the midst of one episode. Uh, it also shares with Veronica Mars an, an, uh, an excellent sense of setting. You know, it's set in, uh, in Ocean Beach, San Diego, and it's, it's – it has um, – I, I love that line, and it, and it kind of – it kind of sums up th- – the, the show's treatment of the town wherein a, a, a city councilman um, says, I want to keep this town. So I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, I'm working hard to keep this town just the way it is lousy. And um, it's, it's sort of that, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the greatest town in the world, but everyone involved or mostly everyone involved is, is, is fighting to keep it uh, the best it can be. I find it interesting that other than Veronica Mars, which of course ran for three seasons and benefited from being on the CW and before that UPN, all of the the recent PI series that I can think of, and there aren't many, lasted for one season and a short season at, at that. Do you think that's part of an overall trend? Like, While police procedurals remain one of the most popular genres, why aren't PI shows more successful? Uh, that's a good question. I think um, 
network TV isn't doing a lot of PI shows, but I think cable is kind of exploring them. I think a lot of the stuff USA does is sort of like this breezy PI stuff. You know, the other uh, series, if I might get a bit old school, um, that I think the show has a lot in common with is the Rockford Files. Yeah, I could see that. Absolutely. Especially in, in the tone, I would say. Yeah, they're sort of down on their luck and like often have to solve problems with their wits um, and not their fists. But sometimes they have to use their fists as well. <laughs> and then um, that they're kind of on the wrong, you know, they're on the wrong side of, of economics. They're on the wrong side of um, access and power. Um, but they're smart enough to sort of figure some things out. Um, also, I do like that they're not too smart. Like, I think this is where they differ from Veronica Mars a little bit. Like, um, Veronica was really smart, but I think these guys are smart, but they are they probably think they're smarter than they are, which is why they get into trouble. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's it's one of those situations where they have um, this, they have a wonderful uh, lawyer friend who's played by Jamie Denbo, who's pregnant for most of the season, and Early on, she tells them, like, look, <laughs> like, you know, you guys can do certain things, but this is too big for you and too scary uh, in reference to the sort of, you know, season long uh, aspect mystery, which it, it ends up being quite Chinatown-esque. Yes. And it turns out to not be a bluff when she says that. Absolutely. These are characters that you can imagine being outwitted by, for lack of a better word, the supervillain or the uh, the evil industrialist or, or, you know, that's sort of a, a trope. Whereas with Veronica Mars, that's just not going to happen because that's not the character. And I, I really love watching these characters. That's why the show works for me. Yes, I love P.I. shows. Yes, I love the aesthetic. Yes, I love that it's finally a show about people who are actually struggling for money, which, you know, particularly in the current economic situation is so refreshing to see. But I, it, for me, it's the performances and the characters and... I, I, I love that what we get, particularly from Donald Logue, I don't think he's gotten an opportunity to ha- to be as as uh, nuanced and deep of a, of a performer as he is here. And Michael Raymond James, who I had seen on, on True Blood, um, as such a different character. I was worried that I wouldn't be able to see him as anything than his character on True Blood, but he's so different here. And he's fabulous. As, uh, the main character of Donald Logue is Hank, and Michael Raymond James is Brit. Uh, and they they work really well together and just have this ease instantly in the first episode. They have this ease with each other that I think is necessary for a show like this to work. Yeah, they have great chemistry. And I, I like in the opening uh, in the first episode where you we learn about them sort of through their, their stakeout and in the conversations they have. So you don't necessarily learn their backstory, but you get a sense of who they are as people. Um and there are also some really nice little touches that happen in those first few episodes that um, pay off in like episode three or four. Like um, Hank keeps kind of Hank's work. He thinks he's forgetting stuff that's happening. Like he forgets that he drank all the milk or that he moved something or whatever. And so he starts talking about becoming senile or losing his mind or whatever. And that pays off nicely in mm-hmm. a future episode. And it's, it just goes to like how very carefully plotted the show felt. So it's like I said, it's really satisfying because a lot of the things that that happen in any given episode pay off. You know, little the little details are are paid attention to, and and those things pay off um, as the series progresses. But I I will say my big problem with Terriers is a problem that I've talked about 
before. <laughs> it's the lady problem. Um, Terriers has, so Jamie Denbo is great. She played, so uh, as Simon said, she's Maggie, the lawyer. She is only in really a handful of scenes in the whole series, but you have like a really strong sense of who she is and like what she will and will not do and what what value she had, like what she contributes to the show. Um, and then there are two other um, frequently recurring female characters, the girlfriend character played by Laura Allen, who um, is Britt's girlfriend. And then um, Hank's ex-wife, Gretchen, who, what a wet blanket. I mean, honestly, I don't think she has much to do in any of the, she really doesn't have anything to do in the whole series. And then at the end, it's just kind of pathetic. Um, I will say that his sister, um, who's actually Donald Logue's real life sister, um, on the show, um, Stephanie is really, um, she's also a really well-realized and well-rounded character. So it was kind of weird because sometimes when you encounter these shows that have lady problems, it's not just, it's usually across the board that they can't write women characters, but, um, this is sort of like how I feel about justified a little bit. (laughs) Another FX series that sometimes has a lady problem. I mean, clearly it can write good female characters. It just didn't for all the female characters. Yeah. I I think, um, terriers to me has minor lady problems. Uh, if you want to like make a scale on, if you want to make a scale, like a one to five scale of lady problems, it has like a, I don't know, maybe I'm under lowballing it, maybe like a 1.5. Like it, they exist, but I think between you know the sister and uh, Laura Allen's character Katie, as well as I, I she doesn't get much uh, screen time because she appears so late. But I also like uh, Abby Elliott's character, right? Who uh, shows up a little bit near the end, and she's in a in a way she's kind of like the Donald Logue's character's sort of like female doppelganger. Um, I I'm, I'm not sure I have as much of an issue with with Gretchen as you do I think sort of by you know whatever the opposite of virtue is of being the ex-wife I think that she sort of necessarily has a a slightly diminished um you know place compared to the 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 girlfriend and I do I I think what it does get right is in the scenes between uh, her and Donald Logue you understand perfectly you can you can really visualize ex- exactly how things went wrong and you know that i think he feels sort of beholden to her on a, on a, in a strange way and i think that they have an interesting dynamic i don't think she necessarily gets that much to do i i agree but uh like i said minor lady problems i think especially compared to I, I would say even less than than justified which i think really squandered say ava in season two now, I'm actually going to come in and disagree with you guys. I really like Lauren Al- Laura Allen's performance as Katie. I think it's a very interesting character, and I, it's nice to see that kind of a relationship where clearly there are big problems. She's got big problems, and it's not, you know, the, the relationship, you know, takes a turn. Some stuff happens, and it's not because of him. It's because of her, and the way that that dynamic between the three of them is affected is really interesting to me because I also got the impression, I'm curious what you guys think of this, and it's been a while since I watched the series, so maybe this was addressed and I don't remember it, but I got the impression that Hank had been friends with Katie for a lot longer than Britt. 
I also didn't have a problem with Gretchen, so. <laughs> I thought Gretchen was, um, to, for her to not have anything to do until basically the end of this series, she appeared for far too many, she appeared in far too many scenes in far too many episodes. I feel like the reason she's there, though, isn't, she's not there to do stuff as, you know, for Gretchen to have stuff to do. She's there for Hank to react to, for us to find out more about him and where he's at uh, mentally and emotionally and so that we can watch his journey. So maybe that's not, she's not the most fully realized character herself, but I feel like her appearances are significant because of what they tell us about our main character. Which is sort of, the, in a way, which is, is, is kind of the definition of a lady problem. Yes. You know, you know, you know she's, uh, you know, I, I, I can see both sides. Like, I think that, the, I think that in that capacity, I think that she works really well. And I think that, the the test of that is um, there's an episode about three quarters of the way through called um, Asunder, which is mostly revol- which mostly revolves around. Uh, I mean, there's you know there's some wacky you know pi antics going on, but it it, it takes place uh, you know at a very at a very difficult time for for Hank and and it has to do with that relationship and it and it also has to do with Hank's uh, alcoholism, which he. Uh, which he he struggles to maintain his sobriety, particularly on that day, and I think it's it's a sign of that they've effectively rendered their relationship that that episode is really really touching. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That episode is one that I think we've all seen other shows do in some way. Um, the the ex is you know has a new boyfriend, the ex is getting married, that kind of a story. And so I, I really appreciated the way that they subverted my expectations several times throughout the episode. Um, to do something more interesting. Um, but to, to to move on from the ladies, um, i got to say, this is the most interesting I've ever found Rockman Dunbar. He's been in like a million things, but here he's Detective Mark Gustafson, Gustafson um, who is Hank's former partner. And I, I just, I think he's great in the series. And so, like I said, just so much more interesting and magnetic than I've seen him other places. What do you guys think about that? I would agree. I think he was probably one of the highlights. I mean, again, it's a series full of just like tremendous character actors and just strong performances. And aside from a few issues I would have with some characters, you know, fairly realized characters. And I always really liked him. He always had, he was always really quippy too. Like he didn't let Hank get away with anything. He always called him out on it, but he also was like, he had such a strong sense. Like he's a good guy. Um, and yeah, I really, really liked him a lot. I, um, I was glad to see when he was turned up on Sons of Anarchy, but then it didn't feel like he got much to do. Yeah. Uh, well, season said so that season of Sons of Anarchy squandered quite a few people. Um, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, we didn't discuss that on, on the Televerse, but or much anyway, but man, that was, that was a mess anyway. Um, yeah, I love Rockman Dunbar on this. And, uh, speaking of details that pay off, I mean, his, just his relationship with his cigarette holder I know, it's so good. <laughs> has, has an arc of its own. <laughs> I, I love that. So tremendous. Um, I was wondering if about uh, since I'd already brought up Asunder, I was uh, I I thought I might talk a little bit more about uh, individual episodes. The uh, third episode, I think, is kind of I mean, like I mentioned, the first couple episodes are quite light. And the third episode is called Change Partners, and it has a a pretty, uh, pretty good guest turn from Olivia Williams, although her accent is a little off. 
Um, and it really, I don't want to talk too much about specifics, but it really kind of signals just how dark and morally ambiguous the show is willing to get. You know, it can do, it can do that with the big boys. It just doesn't always do that. Yeah. I, I love the end of that episode. So it's so just kind of like cold hearted. Well, and the, the, this is the episode that I was going to mention later when we talked about favorite episodes. I, that's, I think probably Change Partners, Asunder, and then the finale are the ones that most stand out in my mind. And I, I always love Olivia Williams, um, but I think she's particularly interesting in that episode. It's, um, like I said, with, with other characters as well, I haven't really seen that character played as well in other shows. So I, I had a lot of fun with that episode. Uh, another another episode that I, I hear a lot of people being down on, and I know that probably people here aren't necessarily the biggest fan of but uh I, I really do like sins of the past which uh is the the only episode that you know revolves around uh heavily around flashbacks and sort of fleshes out bits and pieces of uh of hank's relationship especially with mark gustafson and his wife and i just love the way that it's edited and the way that it it manages to be relevant to the current storyline and where characters are at while also sort of filling in some blanks about how people met and and how they get along i i, I feel like it's the sort of episode that could be really clumsy and ends up being quite elegant yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't disagree with that i think parts i think the central mystery of it is a clunker but um i think all the shading that happens around that is is fairly engaging and satisfying but i felt like Sometimes there was too much emphasis on this kind of like dumb mystery, um, which was really dumb. But <laughs> if you can look past that, I didn't. I didn't. I like that episode. I also liked the one where they went to Mexico. Again, another episode where because of the of the change up, um, we get to spend a little bit more time with Gustafson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that one's called Agua Caliente. Um, now we're actually. Already, all almost out of our time. Um, do you guys have any final things you want to talk about for the for the series, Alyssa? Um, I do think it's probably one of my favorite one and done series, like The Middleman. I I just think it hangs the whole season hangs together. I feel like it pay it pays off in a really satisfying way, um, and so it's definitely worth checking out if you want if you want to see you know um, a really kind of fun PI show. Where it's kind of like, um, in some ways, it feels like the Gosford Park of PI shows. Like the mystery isn't always the point, but um, but I really I really liked it, and I know uh, you can also get episodes from Amazon and maybe iTunes if you don't have Netflix. Yeah, I, I think when I was hinting before, like sort of why the show maybe failed, and I know I know a lot of people rag on FX for their marketing and even for the name of the show which yeah we're maybe not ideal but i'm not really sure that's that fully explains it i think even more than pis i think it's the class element that's that is unique uh that that is sort of missing from other shows that is that is here i mean just the fact that the you know the whole first episode revolves around you know the the donald Logue character just trying to make enough money to make a house payment and that really uh, if it's true that people like escape um then terriers is tricky because in terms of the humor 
and you know the mystery elements there's some there's de- there's some definite escapist value but then it's sort of countered by this semi-realistic sort of economic setting and i i'm not sure if if that really uh if, if people were really into that but it but those are the reasons that i really love the show so um do check it out on uh, netflix isn't or or any of the other options that Alyssa listed and um if you do want to see it get a DVD release, I understand that the the best way to do that is just to sort of uh, to put in for one at uh, at Amazon. I think uh, I'm not exa- I forget exactly how what that process is, but you sort of say, "Hey, I, I want one of these," and then you know FX tracks that. Um, I would say uh, I always forget and then feel bad. the The theme song for this show is fabulous, "Gunfight Epiphany" by Robert Duncan. It really sets the tone. And uh, and puts you immediately in the location, um, and it it also goes very much with the tone of the show, which while it has some more elements, is a lot a lot of the particular uh, particularly the uh, standalone elements are just so chill and laid back, uh, despite all of the you know the urgency of he needs to make this payment, this needs to happen, that needs to happen, just in the relationships for the most part. It's a really chill show and, and I, I appreciate that. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is um, some of the, I don't know how much this was shot on location and, and how much wasn't, but I really like the look of the show. It fits yeah. very well with its setting. And like we talked about earlier about having a de- definite sense of place and I'll, I would also say probably time. Um, but mm-hmm. there's some some great shots of the beach and the ocean and and just the set design and all of that. I think it has a really great look. Yeah, for sure. Which is another reason that I sort of think of Veronica Mars in the in in the way that show used its uh, its color palette and other sort of visual elements to to make Neptune a real place, even when it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think we're all strongly agreed. Go watch Terriers. Let's help try to get it uh, out on DVD. Uh, Alyssa, where can our listeners find you? Uh, every week at the Big Red Podcast. It's bigredpodcast.com. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show again. And Alyssa, we're going to, you know, we're going to try to keep having you on. As long as you'll right. come on, we're going to have you. <laughs> I know. I'll, I'll think of another one and done series. Awesome. <laughs> so I would be interested to watch, to listen to you and Simon discuss that. That sounds fun to me. I'll just sit back and let you oh, two go. Hold on. To discuss what? Rubicon. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Rubicon. <laughs> All right. Thanks, you guys. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.